1: Come,
0: come, come. Hey, everybody, what's up, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 20th, the holiest of holy days, the day that weed was resurrected, 2022. <laughs> and you're listening to episode 543. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer.
2: Well, the quarter movie I watched over the weekend. There's a herd of killer rabbits heading this way. <laughs> what movie is that? Night of the Lepus. Starring Janet oh. Leigh- Stuart Whitman with giant bunny ra- giant mutant bunny rabbits attacking a southwestern town.
0: All right. I thought you were going to say Monty Python.
2: No, it's Night of the Lepus. Check it out. Check out the trailer. You'd be shocked.
0: <laughs> Joey Brichino is here.
1: I can't believe they went and dropped this trailer on a day we can actually record the podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, And Aaron Amos is here, too. Red pill, blue pill. Red pill, blue pill. What is that in reference to? Are we talking about the matrix? Just deciding
3: which one I want to take.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is off to a fantastic start. So much fun. All right. um, Here's the deal. We have too much news to cover in this podcast, so we're going to be doing a whole hell of a lot of that later on. Beyond that, we have a listener question that we're going to hit up later. But as Joey had already alluded to, finally, at long last, Marvel has dropped a teaser trailer for Thor Love and
4: Thunder. Uh,
0: There's quite a bit going on in this trailer. I just took a couple of notes here and uh, we'll kind of go through it just a little bit. If you have not seen it, you should go and check it out. It's about like a minute and change long. Uh, doesn't give away much in terms of plot. We uh, we kind of find Thor at a crossroads in his superheroing life. He is wielding uh, is that thing called Yarnborn Stormbreaker? Stormbreaker is that it? Yes. Yeah. What am I thinking of? There's no, so many weapons in the, the comics. comics.
3: No, it's both names. It's
0: oh, it is in the comics. Yeah. Okay. Um. So it's yeah it's weird. There's a couple. It's a very short teaser, but there's a couple of things going on. We see Thor is burying someone at the start of this. No, he's planting. Oh, he's planting just, the, the Groot.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, oh, is that what it's he's doing? He's the, the handle from the hammer, right? He's planting it in group. the
1: ground because he's like, I'm
0: done with yeah. war. Okay, it looks like a tombstone. It looks like a makeshift no, tombstone. Hey, maybe it, it is. Thing? We
2: don't know. Right, it could be too. But it's the axe that was, and the handle was formed from Groot's tendrils remember
0: oh yeah no i know i know what the weapon is but i'm saying like it looks like he put someone to rest and that's serving as a tombstone marker maybe it is i know that was that was the vibe that i got from it i'm probably completely wrong but we don't know it was just what i saw going on uh the guardians of the galaxy are there Thor has kind of given himself a little bit of a uh, makeover and he's kind of ripping off uh star Lord's style. star Lord is not really too thrilled about it. And uh, yeah, there's a, I don't know if it's a new character or what, but uh, at one point he's riding a giant boat and somebody kind of uh, swings onto the boat and they, they, we got a little smooch action going on. Yeah, They've got blue hair. Yeah. And I don't know who that is. No one. Just no one a does. random character. Just
2: random. It could be a, a Fabio thing.
0: Who knows? Yeah, I definitely got
1: Fabio vibes. Isn't I think it right? it's just a
0: beat. I think it's just, just a beat. Know. Just somebody from uh, What's Left of, uh, I guess, New Valhalla? No,
1: I don't even think it's New Valhalla. I think it's just him or doing no. adventures.
2: Yeah, it's happening. New Asgard. New having we we saw the king of New Asgard, King Valkyrie, in her in her business suit, looking very bored. <laughs> yeah, what's going on there? She's like, in charge. A, and in it's, it's now a tour. And it's now she's a tourist attraction. Out the,
1: uh, she's probably hanging out at the UN. Yeah. <laughs> Doing some diplomacy stuff. She doesn't want to be a diplomat. She wants to be a warrior, which mm. is ironic because Thor doesn't want to be a warrior anymore.
0: Hold on. Amen. Wait, back up for a second. Bob, you were saying that it's a tourist attraction? You, yeah, seen you some, some the
2: of the cruise ships? Yeah. The, and on the, on the, uh, in some of the shots from behind the scenes, they're showing sort of uh, peers and uh, barns where you could store ships and such that are marked in new Asgard tours. The boats say new Asgard tours yeah. on them. There was new just Asgard, all those is now a tourist attraction. Big
1: old cruise ships yep. in the background in yep. the bay.
0: Yep. yep. Weird. Okay. I didn't, uh, I didn't pick up on that at all. Weird. Uh, we got a shot of Russell Crowe's Zeus from behind. Yeah. He captures a lightning bolt and he's kind of, you know, being all showy in front of his people and whatnot. And uh, Star-Lord gives a little speech, and he's looking past Thor, who kind of creeps into the frame. But who is Star-Lord talking to? Is he the just Guardians looking at his whole galaxy? team? Yeah, yeah, like man. All the
1: Guardians the He's saying when like, you're lost, you, you have to look at the people you One love. One at a, a time. You when you're lost, you have to look at the people you love. And he's looking at the Guardians of the Galaxy, and Thor creeps into his eyeline like, do you love me? It helps that, <laughs> that I've watched can- the trailer like 12 times. Yeah, <laughs>
0: The angle that that shot is coming from, it looks like he's looking at Mantis. He's looking at no, he's all looking of at them. He's looking at the whole
3: team. They're all in yeah, the he's frame. He's looking at all of them. And okay. Thor is, I think it's two sides. Of it. I think Thor is trying to say that he's looking at Peter, and he's looking at Peter, hoping that Peter's looking back at him. And then when Peter's like, not you, he's like, I was just I was Just looking. Just listening. <laughs> just, listen. just listening. Just listening. Just listening. Just listening. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The thing I find very interesting about the trailer Is oh did you have uh, did you want to also do the last shot, Steve?
0: Before we go, oh, I mean, you you can you can go there if you want.
1: The thing that I find really interesting about the trailer is similar to like the Moon Knight teasers that they did. Um, I feel like everything we saw is from the first like 30 minutes of this movie (laughs) like like it's all everything that they showed us like the fact that christian bale gore the god butcher is not present is not there i think is a big thing too i think you're just getting all of the first act stuff here Sans the villain aside from obviously the very last shot of of the mighty thor which i think is probably a, a A big reveal but if they're giving that in the trailer then it's probably going to be even bigger and better in the film Um, so I'm really excited for this I think that like when I watch this teaser I think two things one I still stand by us getting a fuller trailer at the end of Doctor Strange post credits I still stand by Mm -hmm. that And two is I think that the first act of this movie is Thor again, as Bob said, being at a crossroads, figuring out his stuff, trying to continue doing the superhero thing with the guardians and ultimately being like, you know what? I'm not into this. And then he goes off on his merry adventures, kind of doing the Fabio thing, doing the pirate thing, stumbling upon other gods and maybe some desolation that's going to bring him face to face with somebody who's outside of his, uh, outside of his wheelhouse a little bit in Christian Bale's Score the God Butcher. So I think that the movie's actually like, I think the tr- teaser does an awesome job of kind of like satiating the, where's the trailer kind of requests while also not giving really anything away.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah we're getting the Do tone you- of the comedy and that sort of it, but as we get deeper into it, that sort of stuff, not here yet. But again, let's put it out there. Let's let people I, have some fun, and yeah. we'll move forward from there. And now, yeah, interestingly, you, you talk about Christian Bale and Gore. Is it that he's in Doctor Strange?
1: No, I. May, oh. uh, you, you never know. Maybe. I. The thing I love about the trailer is that there, he, he, there's still that tragedy. There's still that sadness mm-hmm. about Thor that, like, made him so good in the infinity war endgame arc of his character like i just thought that that tragedy of him that monologue he gives to rocket in the in the yeah. in the shuttle where he's like everyone i know is dead and i've been around for 2000 years and like everyone i know that is one of my favorite moments in all of the mcu and this teaser still holds on to that Yeah, while still doing the "Sweet Child of Mine" thing, which is
2: hilarious, hilarious. Yeah, Um, but I I I love the I love his workout, uh, where he's still he's still chunky Thor, which I hate. Right, but now he's he's moved past that. And do you notice the hat he was wearing? Yeah, strongest Avenger. I I was getting he's still aggravated, right? You know what I was getting though with the
1: beard and the hat and the long hair? I was getting Forrest Gump vibes because like (laughs) they look like the Forrest Gump when he's running through the canyons. (laughs)
0: Do you think that our introduction or Thor's introduction to Gore the God Butcher is Gore showing up to New Asgard and taking Zeus out Uh, uh, and that's what compels him? Is that, I guess, I don't know. Zeus wouldn't be
1: in New Asgard. New Asgard's on Earth. I think I think Thor, like, goes on adventures, hence the boat and the, like, swashbuckling <laughs> scenes. Get ready for that montage. And yeah. I think he's going to, like, end up hanging <sighs> out in Olympus with Zeus and his gods. And, uh, yeah, Gore's going to show up and just, like, kill level her. Level well, then, you know what's really interesting to hear you say that is maybe the thing that brings Thor back to Earth is Gore going to take out Valkyrie. Valkyrie.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And the gods mm. on Earth.
1: Because the mm. last shot with Mighty Event, Mighty Thor showing up Oof. is on Earth. There's cars in the background yep. and all that stuff. So he's got to come back to Earth for some reason.
2: And She looks amazing. That outfit is comics accurate to the nth degree. She, uh, Natalie Portman is absolutely jacked.
0: <laughs> I watched a couple of reaction videos to the trailer, watching people freak out in those yeah. moments when she shows up. It was really cool to see so many people reacting to that character coming on screen in the way that they did, which kind of tells me that people in preparation for this have gone out to go and read some of those Aaron stories. Yeah,
4: Yeah.
2: I saw one who was a husband and wife, and we got to the end of the trailer, and she was, where's Mighty Thor? And she shows up, and this this lady goes, berserk. (laughs) It's like, yes, so did I. I'm sure so did everybody here. Yeah, it's like no context though.
1: For? No context around None. it. None. Though. So again, I'm just None. I'm I, not not giving away a lot.
2: But her her hammer is definitely reconstituted. Uh huh. It's got some cracks in it. Some stuff has happened to Mjolnir. Hmm.
1: Well, it got shattered by Hela. Right, but who put it back together? Is it uh, Peter it's, Dinklage? It's a lot of, the lot of yeah. A lot of questions. A lot of questions.
0: Do you think we're going to get the mangog at any point in either? Doctor Strange or Thor? Oh, that that gets into the the oh,
2: spoiler alert people, for the books, that gets into the whole death of the mighty Thor. Yeah. Can you can you cram all that into this movie? Who knows. I don't know what Or, or do they adapt it maybe do, does she is it gore that then she needs to dispense with in the same way? Do we know what what uh, Natalie Portman's contract not. looks like?
0: Oh, I have no idea. No clue. I mean, is she in for one? Nine?
2: Three? If she's in for one, that could... could, Maybe.
0: I could try looking it up. Have have any of you seen the promotional photos of, like, the gore toys that are coming out that show you what he looks like? Kind of looks like a zealot kind of thing. He kind of looks like Voldemort and Drax had a kid. Mm. (laughs) Like... He doesn't necessarily, and I'm trying, I'm trying not to judge it so hard, but like, I am in love with the core design for, for Gore. Like when, when Gore first came on, like was it Isad Ribic? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was doing that. Like, that is such an impressive looking villain character he looks a little strange in some of these promotional things. I'm very anxious to see if maybe there's some kind of metamorphosis with him might be that he gets the like the tendrils coming off of him because right now he just looks you like know,
1: they might do that eternals thing where like every time he kills a god, he becomes
2: more <laughs> yeah distorted. yeah, that yeah. would be cool. The, like the toys show him with the necro sword, yeah, yeah. So all, I think a lot
0: of black with and necrosword.
2: Necro- yep.
1: Yep. The the thing that's interesting. I go back to is. I, I feel like we only saw 90 seconds worth of footage. And I'm still of the opinion that that is 90 seconds of footage from the first 30 minutes of this film. Now. Dr. Strange is surprisingly short. It's like two hours long. Far uh, No, no way home. Is that the last one we just saw? Yeah. No way home was like. Two hours and forty minutes, or whatever. So, I I don't know how long this movie is going to be talking about how much they can cram in here. But I do wonder what if what and if there is a Thor five or something down the line, or if this is going to be a step off for some of these characters, a continuation for some of these characters, a new status quo. Like who knows? Who
2: knows? I mean, where, what's Hensworth's contracts situation?
0: I think this is it for him. Ah, I'm because
3: yeah, I feel as though all the previous Thor. What's a little bit interesting about this one is, you really are in this unknown space because the previous Thor movies, all of the previous movies with the original Avengers cast, led to a singular point. Like Joey was saying last week, led to a singular story. They were all feeding into a singular story. Well, that story is concluded for all intents and purposes from that phase. So, what is? His objective here yeah, and you certainly can't leave it open I mean I would assume that you're not going to leave it open-ended because then that would apply there's going to be all these other you know Chris Helmsworth Thor movies so there's going to be some level of conclusion but then you would want to believe that there's going to be some level of open-endedness for the other things that could come out of this movie otherwise and it's sort of just an odd little book-ending standalone movie that I don't know if it would make sense all on its own. I will say I do agree that this movie this trailer wasn't intended to do anything other than remind you of the previous movie or Ragnarok. Um, in the sense of the the comedy aspect of it, how it linked into the comedy of it and and that. And I think that was because so many people felt it was fun and funny and that's kind of what they enjoy. And I think it's designed to sort of what you whistle that way. Then I think I do agree that down the line we're gonna get the the weight, like the 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 heavy, you know, of what could be in there were probably not a lot. Um, there's a lot of threads to be played there. Yeah, new Asgard. What's going on with that? Uh, the, you know, what Thor, Fat Thor becoming Thin Thor and his, the hero's journey again. What's going on with that? The Mighty Thor, what's going on with that? Why do we have the Guardians there? It's, there's a lot of threads that I really, I've said this before, don't make the Spider-Man mistake. <sighs> You know, the
2: original I, the Raimi spider think, of mistake yeah. of opportunity. I, too I many don't
1: I don't anticipate th- that here. No,
2: cuz I think the now. guardians are probably going to be gone pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, within the first 20 30 yep. minutes. Yep. I, my thing is going back to your comments about the objective, the direction of it all, you know. Um I I it, it, it makes sense because you know, Doctor Strange only had the one movie before the Avengers films and it was all set up for that. And now that we're coming out of it, we're starting to reaffirm that character and set up his kind of standing in the larger universe proper. But like you said, Thor's had three movies already and it was leading up to the Avengers films. It makes sense then that this film as a kind of epilogue to his story is a kind of what, what is my purpose now kind of thing. And that's kind of what's teased in this trailer. That's what it is. He's like, I've, I've done the war thing. I've done it for so long and, and I don't know what I want to do now. Um, I don't know. You know, this movie might be, look, there are other warriors and maybe it's time for me to truly sit on the throne and and go hang out, especially if all the other gods are wiped out, you know. Uh, so, maybe that's where this is going. I don't know. But that would be, I think, an exciting and appropriate resolution and yeah. stepping off point for the character.
2: Right. Free the Valkyrie to do the Valkyrie thing.
1: Valkyrie and Jane Foster to yeah. do that stuff, you know? Um, and to some extent, you've kind of seen that thread through his films as well, you know, that obviously like begrudging King thing, but also the. Who else will take the stand? And I think seeing the Avengers and seeing the superheroes and watching Captain America pick up the hammer and all of that stuff, I think is an indication that maybe it's time for him to, you know, step off. And and this might be it. You know what's interesting,
3: though, for me, as I watched this trailer and saw that, that issue of um, Donny Cates Thor. Where he, I think it was Thor, yeah. Where he basically explains, I think it was Donny Kid, I can't remember. Where he basically explains his existence relative to time,
4: yeah,
3: and aging, and how he at times does struggle to connect with the the Avengers and all that, because every time he sees them, he's like, "Oh, wait, you're still alive." it's so great to see you because time relatively their lives are relatively short Mm. compared to his. And so it does make him wonder where he is and how he's, it sort of, it becomes difficult for him to connect and figure out what his next objective is. So I, I can't help, but see it now with that in the back of my mind, I almost use that when I'm looking at this Thor, saying, is he having a similar experience? You know, is it, mm. is the value of everything he'd gone through? I mean, considering everything that he'd done before he met the Avengers, you know, thousands of years of life, thousands of battles, mm. everything he'd done before he met the Avengers, where does this register in that? And is that, then everything that happened with the Infinity War and Infinity Gems and, and all that stuff, does that, where does it rank in the adventures of Thor and is that partially what has led him to this sort of point of reflection? Yeah,
2: I can't, I can't but,
3: take that out of my head though. That whole time thing, because I thought that was <laughs> brilliant.
2: And, and we get that that opening sh- shot of really young Thor, teenage Thor, running through the woods. Yeah. I think that that reflection is part of it, Aaron. I think he re- definitely Absolutely. hit on something. Yeah.
1: And Taika Waititi does happy sad. Like no one else. You know, if you go look Mm -hmm. at the rest of his body of work, you look at Hunt for the World of People and Boy and Jojo Rabbit, obviously too. Like the way that he handles both the kind of joy of living and the sadness of it too, I think is I think you're gonna get more of that in this film now that he's kind of got the feather in the cap kind of thing. You know, I think the first one was a total reinvention because that's what they asked him to do. And he just went, you know, balls to the wall, bright yeah. colors and let's have a good time. But now that he's got the leg room um, and the character base, I think, I think that you're going to see a, I think a more deeply reflective film.
2: And Natalie Portman has been quoted as saying that it's from the comics. Now how mm-hmm. deeply into the Jane Foster story they're willing to go, but that does explain her absence.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: She's very sick. She's dying, but somehow ends up with that reconstituted hammer.
3: This could Do bring down the house. Allu- Do you think they would have alluded to any aspect of that in
1: WandaVision? No. I think, I think, you, all, I think you all going, yeah. I think you all are drawing too many connections between Doctor Strange and Thor Love and Thunder.
0: Oh, I, I think they are going to operate any.
1: I think they're going to operate very separately from each other.
2: Could be. I mean, there there is I – mean, and the theory has been that the reason the trailer is so late is that there are things they don't want to spoil from Doctor Strange.
3: I don't – I had to think about what you were saying. I I don't necessarily know if I see any connection between the two. I had to think about what you were saying. I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying listening to you all pontificate over it, but I don't know if I necessarily see yeah. any connection. I honestly see more of a connection between Doctor Strange mm-hmm. and Shang-Chi.
1: <laughs> yeah, my my fear actually is that they try to draw connections between Doctor Strange and the Thor Love and Thunder by making this Jane Foster a Varian. variant. That would that's my fear, and I don't want that. I want no, because this that's to be... that's
2: the the Shattered Hammer from our universe. Yeah, I, I w- there's I a think. lot
1: of universes out there with yeah. a lot of different things. Yeah. You know, yeah, I hope so. not. That could be the shattered hammer that in one universe was reconstituted, and this variant is bringing it over from there. You know? Yeah, I hope and not. And then I'm Thor with, will have know. a bit where he's like, I shouldn't have left it on the beach. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want that. So I, want, I
2: want this to have the resonance it should. I, I agree. It's orging or hammer the whole mess of it. Yeah.
1: I absolutely agree, which is also why I think the multiverse stuff is a very dangerous road to go down. And that's why also I think that the multiverse thing is a whole big MacGuffin, and i think uh, not a mcguffin a a red herring for for something bigger because i just i can't my fear is that they go down this multiverse path that's being set up in dr strange and then all of a sudden like things lose some of that weight because it's like oh you know here we are this is an alternate universe it's robert downey
2: he's right there we can see him yeah no i don't know those those deaths are going to happen i Look, to, to di- diverge a little bit into the Doctor Strange thing, I think a lot of these variants are going to get toasted really quickly.
1: Oh, yeah. I think that that universe is separate, you know? But mm-hmm. everyone that's like, oh, so Tom Cruise is coming in as Iron Man and he's going to be the new Iron Man. I'm like, absolutely no, not. Like, get blown
2: up impossible. by Wanda in the first ten minutes. Yeah
1: yeah so i i just i that's my fear and i think that yes dr strange is going to do the multiverse thing i don't think it's going to set up a marvel multiverse multi-cinematic universe multiverse whatever the hell i think thor love and thunder is going to operate on its own too and i think that that any kind of uh um again i i I, maybe that larger objective Aaron, that you were talking about just isn't there and we're not going to get that for
3: Mm -hmm. a while for, from a Doctor Strange perspective, I'm going to bring it all the way back to last week. I'm wondering, because I, I, I do hope you're right, that it doesn't open up this whole big, everything is a multiverse, and that becomes the big bad or the theory of the next 10 movies. You know, which, What is part of the multiverse? I do think it would be a smart idea to open that door, explore that door via a movie or two, and then close that door, leaving the audience with the understanding that there is a possibility later for when they need to do things mm-hmm. like maybe reboot the franchise or something of that effect.
2: You that was I mean? the old DC JLA JSA crossover, right? Every every year it was difficult to get between the universes, but you could. But it didn't happen all the time. It wasn't every minute of every day.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I anyway, going back to the Thor teaser, I just think it's. I think it's really wonderful. Um, I'm not surprised they drop it I'm still standing by I think we'll get a full length one with more plot After the end of Doctor Strange Although to be honest I still stand by something I said last week too Which is is if if this is all they give us Between now and July 3rd or whatever I'm fine with that too You know like A reminder that this movie is coming out A reminder of the tone And we'll see you in two months You know
2: (laughs) And how many people who were the regular audience were shocked at seeing a lady Thor, of not, course, not knowing the chain thing. like who's that, and now doing you the research to figure it out.
1: With the mask on, you don't know that that's Natalie Portman, I as, as in the Natalie books. Portman.
3: Yeah, I didn't think it was Natalie Portman. Honestly, I was like, oh, are they like double casting this? Is similar to the like you so said, as in the books.
1: I wonder. It's hard because obviously, like the comic, we know the comic, but like. It's the same thing that happened when regular, quote unquote, regular audiences saw Bucky, you know, in in Civil and Winter Soldier and lost their shit Then, you know, Um, (laughs) you probably will get the same reactions.
0: I found a tweet with two photos of I send you guys the photos in the chat of the Gore figure action figure coming out. And this tweet says this has Big, Galactic gal- Galactus is a cloud energy <laughs> to it. I think it's a little. I hope that he goes through some kind of metamorphosis by well, throughout no, the movie. He is going to brutally murder Russell
1: Crowe or whoever the hell is. Oh going yeah! Exactly. Oh yeah! Brutally murder Zeus and grow some tendrils out of his face. That's yeah. Like he to.
0: just like you know what I mean though. Like I'm not trying to be an an ass and like I'm not trying to to rain on anybody's parade. But I just like. The other character design is so flipping cool, and if you can do Thanos's uh, merry band of misfits you know, for those two movies, you, you
1: know why they probably don't have it. It's because he would look too much like Bill Nye in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Oh my uh, god. He would look too with the tendrils and the Davy Jones. Yeah, Davy Jones. Yeah. Yeah, he would look too
0: much like that. Sh- that's amazing. <laughs> that's a great comparison. Yep,
1: that's it. Oh my god, I love it! I just gave you the photo for the. I just found the episode <laughs> art.
0: Holy shit!
1: Am I love wrong? that no? The flat face, no. the tendrils, and Gore the God Butcher look very similar. Just one is like really pasty, needs some sun, and the other one is yeah. too much sun, been in the seawater too long.
0: Listen, if it's if they don't do it, I'm not gonna like lose my mind over anything. I'm just saying it would be a shame if this is all we're going to get is clergymen, the God Butcher. Um, I mm, we'll see, we'll see. I don't know. Pretty, pretty exciting talk for just a, a minute and fifteen seconds <laughs> yes. worth of a tease for this movie. Did you all get your so Doctor Strange like... tickets? What's up? Did you
1: get your Doctor Strange
0: tickets? Ah, uh, I can't remember. I'll have <laughs> to check a, my. Do you um... have
1: tickets are nosed.
0: <laughs> no, dude. I, I do. You have any idea how many things I pre-order? I have no idea. Um, I might have actually. <laughs> You know what? Now you have me curious. I'm going to have somebody do a lightning round, and I'm going to check.
2: Are we yeah, are we doing an early review or the regular Tuesday? Oh, review? Oh,
1: interesting. I mean, I'm going to see it on Thursday. For what, Doctor? I'm seeing Doctor Strange: Multiverse. Doctor Mantis Strange at doesn't
0: come out for like another what, two, three weeks? May third. Yes. All right, you have me thinking it's this coming weekend. No. You're freaking me out. Two weeks away. Uh, What are we doing for a review? Um, Uh, I don't know. know. Part of
2: the regular show, or if it's early, I have to then, when I'm in town tomorrow or Wednesday, buy it. Well, today, because of time travel, look to get tickets early. If we're doing it regular time, I'll go see the Sunday matinee.
0: Oh. Uh, We could figure this out off air, I think. (laughs) All right. Um. I don't see. Okay, I'm gonna to have to keep looking. Um, Bob, why don't you uh, why don't you dazzle us with a lightning round? Okay, first
2: up, a mystery book that will go unnamed. As on its first story page, I was greeted by a major character's Pikachu covered by a snow globe. Oh my god! So email me at bobryer.talkingcomicbooks.com and I'll give you all the details. Next up. Captain Carter Number 2 by Jamie McKelvey, uh, Marika Cresta, Eric Arsienega, and Clayton Cowles, which certainly waded into some deeper water in terms of characterizations, motivations, and political machinations. And for me, that made a just for a smashing follow-up to the setting up of the first issue. For instance, there's a sequence where Peggy's neighbors fill her in on some of the inequalities so rampant in our society and Even with nothing but talking heads, it'll get your heart racing, not to mention Peggy's actions following. Mr. McKelvey has so captured Haley Atwell's voice that I can hear it as I read. Rika Kress's art does give us the Captain Carter from What If in terms of stature and bearing. And while it's still growing on me, uh, look, I can't help but yearn for, let's say, Elena Casagrande to have done the pencils here. But still, I'm loving this art and story-wise combined. Batgirls number five, Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad, Jorge Corona, Sarah Stern, Becky, Becky, Uh Carey. The classic next to last chapter, as Barbara Stephanie, and Cassandra each find themselves in really dire situations. But as old-time movie mogul Irvin Thalberg used to say, and I'm paraphrasing here certainly, this is from the 1930s, look, uh Best ending to a movie is like a football game where the other team has the lead and the ball on your two-yard line with a minute to play. But you miraculously pick up a fumble and run it in for the winning touchdown. Here's hoping that happens here, because otherwise this very fun new series will be over with next issue. We're in that sort of space. Now, I mentioned this in passing last week, so let it just be said that I loved Little Monarchs, the new original graphic novel written and drawn by Jonathan Case. It's, this is a weird combination of words now, a charming post-apocalyptic tale as we follow 10-year-old Elvie and her caretaker Flora as they track the monarch butterfly migration through the Western Americas. It's 2101, 50 years past when the sun's radiation spectrum shifted, which wiped out virtually all mammalian life on Earth, including all humans except those who kept to deep underground. Flores discovered a treatment using cells from monarchs' wings, one she's hoping to turn into a vaccine. Now, this is not an easy trip, what with an earthquake, some other shenanigans, but it's told with a breezy way without the expected Sturm und Drang And that's aided in no small way by the entries in LV's logbook, which are not only filled with history and science facts, just tons of heart and humor. Little Monarchs, and thanks to Menachem over at Escape Pod, who recommended this to me as I was picking up my copies of Oh My Gods 2, just gets my absolute highest recommendation. Guys, read Little Monarchs. That's it for me.
1: Nice. That sounds really cool. What's the uh? What's what would you say the demo is
2: for Little Monarchs? I think you're probably good. There's some there's some darker stuff, so I would I would not go under double digits. I'm I'm saying look ten to ten to sixteen is probably the audience, but I'm cool. not sixteen, and I I was just thrilled, charmed. No, tear, you laugh. It's just a great little book, and the the art. It's just interesting watercolor idea of it and it never skimps on the emotion which is so great right
0: multiverse is 3d yeah this uh this movie yeah yo i'm telling you right now things are looking pretty grim for seats yeah i did not get tickets and i'm looking around now and uh it is getting there's some thin like there are a lot of single seats taken up, uh, making it real bad for couples. So, Captain Carter is
1: five issues long. Yep. Hmm. You're really selling it every day, every every week. <laughs> you're selling it more and more, Bob. I haven't picked it up yet, but uh, I've picked up both. I haven't gotten around to reading
3: it. Yeah,
2: you. Re- uh, yeah, that was really. Uh, uh, I might have to get it. <laughs> it's so much fun. I mean, yeah. if you're a fan of Peggy and what's going on here, it's McKelvey, right? I mean, you can't go of too course. long. He's writing. McKelvey's writing, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool too. And he's doing the covers, right? Of course. So this 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 week's cover or this month's cover it's it's, it's Peggy and Betsy Braddock. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Captain Britain and Captain Carter. Well, no, she's she's sort of the new shield. I'll just leave it at that. You'll you'll find out. What? Yeah. Well, you you'll you've got to read. <laughs> Now, did you read Batgirls, Joey? I saw that. I did. Oh, list. yes,
1: yes, yes. Yeah. I uh, I love it. Batgirls is so fun. I say this every time I'm on the show and we're talking about Batgirls. But this time, the thing I love about the last couple of issues, I feel like the first like two or three issues, they were like doing the Batgirls thing. But we're on issue five now, right? Mm-hmm. Four and five. All of a sudden, like the narrator became a character yes. in a way that it wasn't really the case in the first couple of issues, and I just I, I laugh out loud at some of the narrator's like commentary. Oh look, it's quips. a saint! Of
2: course, they drive a creepy white van.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very Nathaniel Hawthorne in the Scarlet Letter. You know, yes, like yes. very satirical, very funny. The artwork is just on another level. Of course, I love seeing more, particularly in the last couple of issues, more Babs. Yeah. You know, getting into the suit, getting into action. You know, I just I think that's so so wonderful. There are there are a lot of threads going on, mm-hmm. some of which I was surprised weren't more explicitly addressed this time around. Like when I opened it, and it was them versus the 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 Saint Mobile people, whatever the yeah. hell they're yeah, the
2: leftover magistrate.
1: Yeah, I was like is this important? We just had the big villain reveal at the end of the last issue. Like what's happening. And then they like wrap it up in a couple of pages. And I'm like, so is that done now? Like I just, I I, I was, I was just a little, and of course the narrator says like, you know, it's not the last three scene of that. Yeah, exactly. But like, I just it, like the, some of the, some of the pacing of the overall story. I'm just a little surprised by not necessarily like in a bad way, but I just like some of the choices here and there. I'm like, Oh, this is a very dynamic story. And then there's so many threads going on. It's a the story arc ends in seven, I think.
2: I believe so. Yeah.
1: Is it continuing after?
2: I sure hope so. Yeah,
1: it's so so, it's ambiguous.
3: So I'm of two minds about Batgirl. Batgirls, because um, I read all of them. I love the inventive art. Um, I love the colors. I love this team up. I love this connection, relationship between them all. Um, and what I realized I had to do was, and, and, and I don't know if this is going to sound bad. I don't mean it to sound bad. I had to look at this like an Elseworld book, or I had to look at this like a an all-ages book or or something like that, primarily because I didn't, I don't relate to this younger, sub- seemingly less capable uh group, if that makes any sense. I think also because I'm really, really loving the way that Babs is characterized by Tom Taylor and Nightwing.
1: In Nightwing, yeah. So, yeah.
3: so it's very different. Um so it didn't make me not love the book, it just made me have to think, adjust my mind to perceive it differently. I, feel as, I felt as though at times uh, the language, the dialogue between Steph and Cassandra was younger mm-hmm. and I guess less experience or less confident, not less experienced, maybe less confident than I've seen them written, say, like an, um detective comic. Like, what was that, several years ago? Who was writing that? Who was writing that detective? Comics? Uh, Tynan, James Tynan. Yeah, Tynan. We had Clayface and all those guys. Yeah. And then it came out. So, yeah, I... I I, I'm trying to see them differently, and so adapt them to this this storyline. So I had to make that adjustment in my mind um, because I was realizing I don't hate the story. I, sure. It's not the story that I don't like. It's not the the characters. I, I love the story. I love the characters. I just had to see them differently, and it took me a minute to sort of realize that.
1: It's kind of reminiscent of like the the Kamala Khan that was in champions As and opposed to book. Yeah. versus wilson yeah. you know when wilson was writing it yeah. um i feel you though i i think that like i i maybe this is just all my years of reading x-men books where you would have like every book would have wolverine in it and it, wolverine would be different in every book, every book. <laughs> yeah. maybe it's just like I'm i'm like trained to like be able to jump over with different characters like that but I just I, I go back to what you were saying. If the story's fun, engaging, yeah, I think that this this like this book has a more punk, younger vibe mm-hmm. to it than something like Nightwing, and I think that the the tenor of everything fits that in a in a good way. Yeah. I, the other thing that really just draws me is I just think the art is so good. I think the art is so good.
2: Absolutely. I think we're also getting the Barbara who in the Birds of Prey run, particularly in Gales when misfit showed up that she can be that teacher. And she's looking at these two younger versions of her own caped identity as people she can mentor. It's not the equals that it was when it was uh, black canary and huntress. Mm, It is now these younger people that she needs to do something a little different and relate to them at a different level.
1: It's funny because I've been reading also just to talk about the other character too. I've been reading also the Stephanie Brown Batgirl book. Um, And even the voice there, you know, who did Mm -hmm. that? Brian Q. Miller, is that who did that Mm -hmm. one? Yeah. Yeah. That voice there is a little bit more college, you know, a little bit more a little bit, yeah, yeah, a little bit saucier, a little bit meaner, right? And here she's just this like bubbly, you know, like, I want to be a hero kind of thing. So even tonally there from like that seminal work to this one, it's, it's different. But It's still Batgirls, you know, like it still has the Batgirls vibe to it. And and in a way that I think is reflective of the whole mood of the book in a meaningful way. So let's
3: also say the last time I really focused on Stephanie, she was outsmarting Tim Drake and detectives. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is that same Stephanie. So I had to really adjust my brain for that.
1: Or in um, Young Justice too, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that they felt very mature in that book, yeah. you know, talking yeah. about moving in and long term relationships and things like that, you know. Um, and here it's just a, it's a very younger sounding yeah. Stephanie, which isn't necessarily bad but to yeah. your point, different. It's
3: not at all bad. I, had, I really had to really come to that. It's not at all bad. It actually works exactly as it should for this type of
0: story. Yeah. All right. Nice. Uh, Aaron, why don't you go next?
3: Sure. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch it up a little bit here. So I'm going to start with the book that I read. I picked this book up a while ago, and it took, I waited a while. I, I didn't know if this second issue was ever going to come out, but The Living Gods, um, Isaac, and I'm going to attempt to pronounce the name, Mogajane, uh, Santos, and Dave Sharp. Um, And if you remember, this is another dystopian story set in Africa. I think it's set actually in Johannesburg or what used to be Johannesburg. Uh, And we sort of start off, just to give you a recap, uh, meeting this young girl, uh, this young albino girl, Nalida, Nalidi, I'm sorry, who uh, we learn can see spirits and is somehow protected by spirits, but is also um, got a lot on her plate in terms of caring for her mother um, and sort of surviving the you know the trappings of a dystopian society you know everyone's out for themselves some things happen in that first issue that basically puts her on a journey and we find out at the end of that that issue that that journey gets her into a bunch of trouble her rescuer comes you think it's her rescuer she saves her from one type of one sort of trouble and and she's into the next so we start off we get a hint of that in this second issue. However, this issue takes the time to expand upon this dystopian society again. I think this, this issue was meant to sort of level set you on the mindset, the zeitgeist of the characters in this book. And there, as with most dystopian stories, there is that reliance on um, religion and superstition and all of that mixed in with politics. And we get to meet some of the figures um, in that, that, that world who are influencing, I think, what's going to be the antagonistic edge of this book. Um, and we see that happen um, through the sort of political, almost, I don't want to say Congress, sort of this, this sort of meeting of these sort of politician, witch doctor type things. Um, and, and it's through their exposition that we get a little bit of an understanding of how this organiz- how this world has been affected and how it has sort of scraped itself back together to try to put some semblance of order in society together when it had basically all gone to crap. Um, but then we come back to our uh, girl, uh, Nalidi, and find out that you know, the person who was, her capt- who was her savior is actually another captor. Um, and has their own ideas for her. And it was through their conversation that we understand that, again, there's different people with different perspectives trying to figure out how to survive in this world and doing it different ways. There are gray areas all between. Um, and that we're, we're I think we are going to, after this exposition was done, I think we're going to see a little bit more of a, I don't know, uh, the action is going to pick up because there was a final scene, a final page that I did not see coming. And I think that's going to lead into what the whole purpose of this this, these connecting storylines means. Um, I will say I, I I like this story. It it was a little bit of a slow burn. It didn't give me as much as the book I reviewed last week. Um, but it it's moving forward. I'm going to give it a few more issues. I think it's actually five. If I'm not mistaken, I have to double check. I'm not sure this is ongoing. Um, but I'm going to give it a little a little bit more time. Um, what I do like is that it did. Do, there's a lot of those, you know, those little bubbles where you get the stars and it says what this really means or what this translates to. There was a lot yeah. of translation of um, African words, uh, Swahili and, 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 oh, nice. and what this means in this language, what this means in that language, and they were using slang throughout the book. So I, th- I thought that was good. Um, I thought it was very interesting and very engaging. Um, so I love I, that sort of thing. Yeah, I definitely still recommend this. I'm going to give a quick shout out because I didn't put it in the schedule. in the. Uh, the outline, but a quick shout out to Superman: Son of Kal-el, Tom Taylor, Travis Moore. This last issue, I think it was issue ten, was it or ten or eleven? Um, uh, I think the issue. Pretty sure was, it was ten. Yeah, I think it was ten. Reputation. Here's why I wanted to point this out, because I thought that this book was really, really interesting from a couple of different perspectives. It's Basically, the book it, it's done it's doing something that has been done with Superman by Lex Luthor many times before make Superman ruin Superman's reputation, try to turn the the world against him, etc., cetera, et cetera. But the one thing I wanted to point out in this issue was that the way Lois resolved it, Lois was a boss. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I loved, I don't know if anyone's read that, but Lois, Lois took, took Lex down. um, And, and the way she did it was uh, it, it, ticked her up on a scale for me again because i again i never really loved lois but until recent years it elevated her that coupled with the conversation the very touching and engaging conversation that she and john had that i think was a long time coming but needed to happen in this issue i thought it was great um so that's all i'll say about that and then batman batman whatever um anyway what i wanted to talk about was young justice yes young justice the series um, and I want to talk about that because I got around to watching what was that? Iss- Issues, I'm um, seeing issues, episodes 13 through I think 18 um, that came back a few weeks ago. I think they came back with like three is- three episodes at once and they have been shooting out one a week. I'm dovetailing that with Supermassive and el because this is probably the queerest season of Young Justice mm. ever. And I love it. <laughs> you've got nice. non-binary, you've got throuples you've got you know've oh, you've got you've got it all. <laughs> you've got it all. Oh man. I love it. They are going full-on. They've got exploration of these things. Now, they also actually have here's the one I, I really enjoy about. It. Those things are not the main story. Those things are just things that happen to be happening. Um, this arc that they just completed was actually an arc that took place mostly in Atlantis, and I actually really enjoyed it. It brought you know Arthur. <laughs> and, it,
1: it, 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 I actually I enjoyed, enjoyed, enjoyed Atlantis it
3: this time because I didn't know what to expect from Atlantis because you know because they had a different. It was a completely different story arc pre pre break, um, and you kind of wanted to see what's going to happen with that. Um, you had Arthur and Mira and, and and Calder and all these characters being grown in a way that, you know, in their relationship. And one of the things, if anyone's watched Young Justice in the past, you know that with each series, they sort of they skip ahead a couple years, but they don't forget it's all still connected to what's happened previously. So if you've watched Young Justice from episode season one, episode one, and then you watch season four, episode 18, you can see how these characters are about eight years older, you know, in this version of it and have gone through some things. Um I really I, I just can't speak enough about the creative team behind this. And I say that because I think whoever the creative team behind this show is, it should be a template for the rest of the Warner Brothers DC universe that you can do strong stories, adventures, you know, high adventure and still incorporate humanity and qualities that, you know, speak to the individual and speak to or just communities in there and make it work. Um, all those things that I mentioned earlier, you know, the thruples and the non-binary and the, 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 the heterosexual homosexual relationships all those things were not the driving point. They weren't there to sort of punch you in the face, but they were aspects of these characters that exist while these characters continue to do amazing superhero things. And I thought they they created that and they crafted that extremely well. Carolyn and I have been talking about that. Love, love, love the show. Highly recommend it. That's my lightning round.
0: Man, I love that. You're uh, you're talking my language. I'm gonna have to report back to Bronwyn, get her on board to go and watch that with me. That sounds amazing. Jump in, man. Jump in. Oh, uh, I miss I miss Young Justice. I haven't seen it in a really long time. I need you, to dive back in. If you watched... I'll say this. If you watched
3: season... This is an listener. If you watched season one and this ended there and you thought that season two, three, and four were just regurgitations of that, you could not be more wrong. They have <laughs> up to their ante each season. They've aged characters each season. They've brought in new characters. They've dived deeper into the DC well with each season and brought in characters that, you know, honestly... Your average person, as we were saying before, your, how your average person didn't know who Iron Man was before, your average person would not know. They have Jaime Reyes in the story. They have all these other characters. They have Halo in the story. They have you know all these other characters that your average reader probably won't know just from saying their names. But they make them work. They make them work. And they make them interesting and exciting. They have the new gods. They have. It's just really fun.
0: It's really, really fun. Talk to me a little bit more about these witch doctor politicians because those words put together really caught my fancy. There
3: was so they are basically trying to maintain order in this in this world in this sort of dystopian world and it looks as though the people are starting to sort of get ornery and 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 basically say listen we appreciate all that you think you've done for us over, you know, over all these years that we've been trying to pull, get our act together again after whatever happened. But we think we're going to do things our, on our own way now. So now they're all huddling together trying to figure out, oh, crap, we got to smack these mofos back into place <laughs> and show them, you know, <laughs> and we got to show them something big. So they, the 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 witch doctor walks in, and I got to be honest, the witch, the female witch doctor who walks in, she gives me like old old storm vibes you know with like the 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 hair and everything that so it, it, the the i don't want to spoil it the the stunt i don't know if you want to call it a stunt but rather the display that occurs on stage at the end to sort of once again you know demonstrate power um raise an eyebrow for me um, and certainly maybe think, oh, okay. Now I guess we're gonna now that we've built the world, we're gonna we're gonna lean into this now, aren't we? Okay. So um, again, it was a little bit of a slow burn up to this point. Um, but I think it's now gonna start to pick up because now we understand what the stakes are. Um, and again, I just love it when stories are told in a different way and and leaning into different language and you know, and they do they they, they don't shy away from that
0: language. Um, but it's I think you're gonna get a, it's gonna be interesting. I think it's gonna be fun. That's really cool. I love it when books explore other dialects and kind of try to educate you a little bit as to what the, the words mean and stuff. It's a nice peek into uh, different cultures and, and different ways of speaking. Yeah, I there, like that sort of thing. There were a lot of those
3: bubbles. And if you know, <laughs> I read in Comixology and Guided View.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: It was a couple times I'm like, oh, okay, I got to take this up Guided View because I need to know what this bubble is referencing because whatever it's referencing is not in the frame so I got to sort of take this out and see the whole
0: screen to
3: understand it because there are a bunch of them. So yeah, it was, it was good.
0: Mm. Speaking of raising eyebrows, I'm going to uh, just throw a wrench into the works. We don't have to talk about it at length, but I don't want to wait until the news section to do it. Uh, Jason Momoa is in final talks to star in a Minecraft movie from director Jared Hess, who, if you don't know who that is, Napoleon Dynamite and uh, Nacho Libre, I'm getting Battleship vibes.
1: Uh, what is going on? Do you mean uh, Spirit Halloween vibes?
0: Oh God! Yo. Plato to be vibes.
1: fair, though, the Lego Movie ended up being fire. So you never yeah. know. You never know.
0: <laughs> look, I look. I love me some Momoa, and I've played about maybe two minutes of Minecraft, but I'm down for it. I just, I just sometimes I see headlines. And I'm like, this is the world we live in. This is this is where we're going in Hollywood, where Sonic the Hedgehog 2 makes more money than God. And then all of a sudden, all of these things get the green light. It's amazing. They're making a Play-Doh movie. Like, John M. Chu is helping to make a Play-Doh movie. What is going on?
2: I mean, what is the plot of the Play-Doh movie? They, they, they squeeze things no through the, the forms into stars and donuts or whatever I'm sure i don't know
0: not. you know what sounds amazing though have you seen the cast for the barbie movie coming out greta gerwig's barbie movie yeah yeah, yeah like uh, i never would have thought in a million years that like a barbie movie would have been on my list of things to definitely check out when trailers or new information drops because i am fascinated See, by I the de- yeah dude everybody's in it well, it's now, crazy, now see it. <laughs> Listen, it didn't even have to be said, but he's not wrong. <laughs> I am. I'm looking forward to that movie. Genuinely. I want to, I want to see it. I want to see it. Oh God. Hollywood. What are, what are you doing? Anyway, um, we'll get to more news later on. I just wanted to put that out there. I saw that headline. While I was scrolling and I was like, what? Uh, I need to find out if it's live action or not. If it's, if it's animated, I'm not interested.
2: Well, life actually would right. have put a big square
0: on his head. <laughs> I would love that. Okay. I would love that. If you, um, no, mentioned if this you know movie, it's before. probably
1: going to be like a Jumanji kind of thing. where like, yeah. we're like Jason Momoa gets sucked into Minecraft and has to build
0: his way out. Okay. It totally works. All right. I need to, I need confirmation. I need to find out about this. Uh, Joey, why don't you do your lightning round? All right. Picture
1: this. It's 7 p.m. Friday night. Me, Emily, and our two friends are standing on 49th Street outside of the NBC, you know, iconic Rockefeller, uh, Rockefeller Center, and we get in line. For Saturday Night Live. And if you're wondering, why are you online on a Friday at 7 p.m. for tickets to Saturday Night Live, which happens on, in case you didn't know, Saturdays, we had to stay over 12 hours, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. on the streets of Manhattan to get our tickets. And those tickets, when you go to get tickets, you're getting tickets for the standby line. So we waited we got our chairs. We got some snacks. We got blankets. It was it was warmish on Friday night. Um, we and we just sat there and chilled for twelve hours. Slept when we could on the grate on the subway grate out wow. there. Um, and then at seven a.m. the sun came up. We got our standby tickets. You might ask yourself, why the hell would you put yourself through that? Well. It's because our Lord and Savior Lizzo is the performing host and musical <laughs> mm-hmm, guest uh, that evening, and we're I all big that's fans. What it was. <laughs> yeah, so we were like, "This is it." So Emily, Emily sent in an email to request a p- st- spot on the standby line. That's another thing you have to do now. You have to request a spot, and our number that we got was low enough that we figured, "Okay, we can we can figure it out." We waited for twelve hours. We got to the front of the line. We got our standby tickets. Our standby tickets were number 17, 18, 19, and 20. Nice. And we were like, like, that has to be good. That has to be good. And we were like, you know, it's Coachella this weekend, (laughs) and it's Easter weekend. (laughs) Like, maybe there's not a lot of people here. So then you get your tickets. We drove back to Jersey City. Um, We all crashed and slept for like five, six hours that morning ate something, and then we drove back into the city. And we we got back to the city, 9 o'clock. Um, and uh, we're waiting online and people are just showing up and we're like, okay, but we're 17 to 20. We must get in. We got to get in. We got to get in. It's 945. It's 10 o'clock. It's 1030. Oh. And they're like, all right. Numbers 1 through 10 come in and they send them through security. <gasps> and then they're like, Numbers 11 through 20 go through security. And we're like, yes. And then you go through security and then you stand on the stairs and then you stand on the stairs for like 20 minutes. And then they're like, all right, numbers one through 10 come to the elevators. And we're like, Oh my God. And then they're like, all right, numbers 11 through 20 come to the elevators. We go up the elevators and we get seats to SNL. Wow. Oh my God. SNL live. We went to the live show. It was amazing. I'd never been to like a studio live television thing before. Um, it is such a chaotic evening. It was a, it's an experience that like was so cool, and I'm so glad we did. Lizzo was amazing. The night we were waiting overnight, Lizzo came out and like took pictures with everyone. Oh, lovely. And brought us pizza. It was, it was just a remarkable experience. I am totally beat though, like physically, emotionally, mentally drained. I'm so tired. Um, but it was just a remarkable, remarkable experience. While I was waiting online. That evening, I brought my iPad and I read a few books. One was the Reckless book that Steve's going to talk about in his lightning round. But I also read Seven Secrets number 16, Tom Taylor, Daniel DiNicolo. <laughs> so first of all, you're telling me that we only have two issues of Seven Secrets left. I don't want to believe it. What? I don't, <laughs> don't want to believe, believe it either. We have two issues left. Next issue is the penultimate issue. And then following issue number 18 is the last issue of Seven Secrets. What? i should have known i was reading this issue and i was like this is feeling kind of like end game here this is like i was reading things and i was like this feels like the final battle like things are going i should have known they're killing off characters left and right in the previous issues i'm like this is this is it this is it um our favorite horse shows up again the horse fairy <laughs> mermaid oh my god the Best horse. Horse. Panel,
0: panel of the year panel of the oh year I'm telling god, you it's that crazy and tears. then of
1: course you know we have that we have that that scene that happened at the head of an issue before issue 14 or whatever crazy but yeah we're nearing the end and I can't believe it I'm very excited the book is the book is madness I also read Black Panther number five John Ridley Juan cabal um issue number four ended with a big shocker cliffhanger about who the traitor is and the sleeper agent program uh, but evidently things are not what they see. uh there's a lot of like politicking going on in issue number five a lot of like talking heads wakandan democracy whatever and t'challa's like i'm used to being the king you know i'm not used to this like democracy stuff um but what starts as a bunch of talking heads pointing fingers and blaming each other ends with like some really cool sequences as both T'Challa and Shuri start of like sort of like start making some moves to to solve the mystery. So if you haven't been reading Black Panther from John Ridley and Wankiball, like it is a really cool departure from Tanahasi Coates's Coates' run, um, but definitely is building on the foundations that Coates laid down. And then finally, the last book I read was Breakout Number One. I don't know if y'all heard about this one. Shut it up. looked really interesting. <laughs> um, so you know, Breakout Number One is like, it's like y'all remember the Perfect Score with Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson trying to steal the SATs?
0: No, <laughs> yeah, I do. Actually I know, know what you're talking about, do. but I haven't thought about that in so, ages. So
1: it's basically like a bunch of teenagers in high school, like, and they're like, we're gonna plan a caper. But the caper isn't to steal SATs. The caper is to break into these, like, interdimensional cubes that have been floating over the earth for a few years, kidnapping children.
3: Giant Um, mother boxes.
1: Yeah. And the protagonist's, like, younger brother was, like, one of those kidnapped children. So he, like, gets his gang together, Ocean's Eleven style. And he's like, all right, y'all. We're going to break into the cube. And they're all like, you're an idiot. And he's like, no, all of our skills are perfectly fit to this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, the art's cool. The story's cool. Here's what I'll say about this book I think it's a really cool premise. I think that, like, the caper, like, rounding up the characters thing was really fun. At the end of this issue, I was like, I need the second issue. <laughs> this issue was not enough to, like, hook me necessarily uh just because a lot of it was just like set up the world but also set up the characters and not in a particularly dynamic way it was just straight up like here's the world isn't it crazy also here are all my friends and i was like all right i need the i need the i need the action i need the thing to happen so i wonder if this story is going to read really well collected or really well in, in a kind of a larger chunk but i mean teen caper interdimensional's like mystery solving fine let's do it i'm in that's cool um and that's from zach Kaplan and wilton santos for dark horse and that's my landing wrap
3: okay so i'm glad you had your opinions about that book because i was just like i feel as though this book tried to do something they did a few things really well i do agree the art was great um i do agree the the oceans the teenage oceans 11 slash breakfast club thing was great um I do also agree that there was not enough in this book to give me a sense of what this book was going to be, and then there were some inconsistencies that I was like, "Huh, like I thought these things were indestructible. How did you buy one on the dark web?" Anyway, um, <laughs> so I, I will. I did also want to ask you, what did you think about that one panel of her cheering?
1: Oh, with the spread legs?
3: Yes, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like. What the I vaginal like, hell? Yep, yep, yep.
3: <laughs> I'm like, why are we looking at this <laughs> busty teenage
1: girl spread eagle oops <laughs> on a page, you know? Their- I was just like, good <laughs> lord. That's the problem with these like teen teen movies as it were, you know? That's why I don't watch Euphoria because like even though all of the actors in that show are like 35 years old, they're still supposed to be playing like 16 year olds doing all this like crazy stuff. And I'm like, I don't need to think about that. You know? Um, I also love that. Like the 15 year old friend is like, yeah, I do uh, advanced titanium welding. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like, what? I'm like, um, is this a, is this an honor school? What is yeah. this? Is this like a school it's like for a, the gifted? Polytech right there. <laughs>
3: yeah. I, yeah. I, I get what they were trying to do. I don't know if they quite, <laughs> Sold. Usually in those instances, you get to see the character when you say, Okay, we're gonna get the team together, even with Oceans Eleven, Oceans Eight, Oceans, 11, whatever, you got to see them demonstrate what it is they are specializing in so that you believe that they can do it. We've just heard them talk about it. Yeah.
1: So also- it's like- yeah, okay. Talking about the cheerleading girl, it's just like, why do we need the cheerleading girl? And it's like, well, we need a greaser. We need someone who can like do flips. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell are they? Like, what is their plan to she's break a... into this like floating alien cube? You know, it's throw like, gonna yeah, we're gonna we're gonna throw her up, and she's gonna carry with her the titanium oh. welding equipment, and then my and then my fifteen year old friend is gonna weld a hole into the. Oh. It's like none of this makes sense, but you know what? I'm into it.
3: <laughs> I, I'm definitely gonna pick up the next issue I, I, if
1: that's not clear. But yeah. but it was just I was reading through and I'm like, huh, oh, okay. It's Ooh, like your classic right? like B movie sci-fi thing. You know, like, like the one character's like like a part of the premise of this comic also is like the kidnapped kids still have their cell phones on them. Mm-hmm. So they stay like TikTok videos from the being captive?
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy
1: for like a couple of seconds before they get taken away and the guy's like yeah and like we have enough video where we can like triangulate and come up with maps of the of the cubes and i'm like no you fucking can't (laughs) that (laughs) that is that is not how phones work like (laughs) because my first thought was
3: so you all did this and no one from the entire world of super secret government agents decided to put all that information together just these seven teenagers okay yeah that's
1: that when you sense. add in the breakfast club element which is just like they don't care about kids only kids care about kids
3: you know so yeah i i, I get what they were trying to do i uh i i i i gotta be convinced
1: <laughs> i'll top definitely check out number two though so it was just weird enough that i was like okay <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness All right. And Lizzo's new album is gonna be fire. She did her two new songs. It was, it's great.
3: I could, I heard it all over uh XM Radio all all
1: weekend long. Yeah. We got interviewed. It was—I don't know what it was. Ooh. Like the four of us were sitting there, and we must have just looked really kind and nice. People kept asking us questions. The NBC news people came out and interviewed us. These other people came out and interviewed us. I was like, "This is very nice." And you like make friends with the people on the line as you sit there in the freezing cold on the pavement for twelve hours. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was—it's was a—it's was an awesome experience. I'm glad I did it. I don't think I'll ever do it again. Um, but I it's just something that like SNL's an institution, you know? Yeah. And I got to be there for one
2: night, which was really wonderful. Studio 8H, right? After Studio 8H what was it 45 years, 46 47. years? 47. 47. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That was one of your bucket list items, you said? I would I would say
1: that I don't really have a bucket list, you know? Like I don't regret anything in life. I just do. Uh but I would say <laughs> I would say that, yeah, it's something that I, I, I'm
0: glad I did. That's awesome. Good stuff. All right. Let's move on to another lightning round. It's you. I know. I'm having some issues over here. I took a swig of water while you were talking, and it went down the wrong pipe. And not the, like the coughing kind, but the it burns when it goes down kind. Oh. So... I'm a little incapacitated, but I'm gonna soldier on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do this. Just gotta find my notes first. That would be a good idea. Stalling. There they are. Yay! All right. Uh this one's for you, John. <laughs> Pour one out for John Burkle. He'll probably be back next week. Reckless. New chapter in the Reckless Saga. The Ghost in You, presented by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. This is from the uh, image.com on the internet. Mm -hmm. Best-selling crime noir masters Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips bring us yet another original graphic novel starring troublemaker for hire, Ethan Reckless. Except it's time. uh, this time it's winter of 1989 and Ethan is out of town. So Anna must tackle this job on her own. When a movie scream queen asks her to prove the mansion she's renovating isn't haunted, Anna will stumble into the decades long mystery of one of Hollywood's most infamous murder houses, a place with many dark secrets, some of which just might kill her. Oh my bum, god! Bum, bum. So at the start of this, Anna is busy running the El Ricardo movie theater when Lorna Valentine walks into the lobby with a job that's too weird for Anna to pass up. Lorna is Baker and Phillips' version of Elvira, and she's recently inherited a Hollywood mansion that has a reputation for being haunted. With nothing but a flashlight, a bit of research, and determination to solve the mystery before Ethan gets home— Anna finds that some ghosts never move on to the other side. The Ghost in You is another fantastic story in the Reculus in the reckless, Reculus. Reculus. <laughs> the Reckless. series. The Reckless series. Uh, and I loved that Anna was the focus of this story. She's been one of my favorite Reckless characters from the beginning, and this was a perfect chapter for her to take front and center. Uh, I didn't read anything before picking this book up, and I was absolutely thrilled when I saw that the story revolves around an Elvira-like figure. Uh, I have many fond memories of watching movie Macabre with my dad, and when Brubaker and Phillips added this haunted house angle, I started freaking out. Like Within the opening pages, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, I know what this is going to be about. Um, There's a bit of a lull in the middle when Anna gets pulled into matters outside of Lorna's new residence. Still... I thought this side plot added a lot of juicy drama and death to Anna beyond her well-established relationship with Ethan from the other books. Uh, I learned more about her past. I got to see how she's inherited some of her tenacity. These aspects of the story go a long way to flesh her out, and she isn't a side character anymore after this book. She is, she's just she's awesome. I like her a lot. I like her attitude. She's got uh, chutzpah, if you will. Uh, The art from Phillips is what you'd expect, though I will say that I thought the interiors of Lorna's new estate were exceptional. Uh, There's also a lot of anger and frustration in this, in this book. And Anna makes for a great subject to display Phillips's ability to nail emotion on the page. Really, really enjoyed that. And um, I'm not sure where this lands in the ranking of reckless books, but the setting and the characters went a long way to make this one stand out from the bunch. Uh, those other novels have all kind of mushed together for me at this point. Uh, I'd be curious to do like a reread of them and find out which ones are my favorites. But overall, I think the series is great. They tease the next book coming out in October, uh, tover at the end of the towards the end of the year. Really looking forward to that. And yeah. Reckless, another another outstanding chapter. And my other book for this week is Serial. I read the that's S-E-R-I-A-L. This is the Serial Omnibus presented by Terry Moore. Terry Moore. Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, Zoe Mann, the adorable character from Rachel Rising, is back. Zoe lives on her own in a van down by the river. (laughs) And someone, she does, and someone has killed her friend Jill's cheating, lecherous husband. While Brandon's death is no significant loss, when the killer comes for Jill, Zoe decides to make things personal. Uh, This setup, the setup for this is excellent. You have a killer hunting a serial killer, and it's all very Jessica Jones with a delectable Rachel Rising flavor, adding a little bit of spice. I've been a big fan of Zoe for years, and it's fantastic to see her starring in her own series. Um, I also enjoyed the serial killer, who's this complex woman with many people on her list before her work is complete. I like that the story didn't have her working in the shadows like so many other books that I've read that they try to keep the killer's identity a secret or they only draw them in shadow. They try to keep it all mysterious. She is front and center for the entire story. Like both her and Zoe share the spotlight in this. You spend a lot of time with her. You really get inside of her head uh, as the events play out. I also dug all of the kills. She's going after some really despicable people. And the story has this habit of, like, turning the tables, sharing some really harsh reveals, uh, has a biting commentary about sexism, abuse, infidelity, you know, all your favorite topics to explore (laughs) in your spare time. Uh, The story also moves at a brisk pace. There is no downtime throughout the entire 10-issue saga. I read this book in under an hour because I was so engaged in Zoe's hunt for this woman who killed her friend. Uh, really, really great pacing. in this. I can't stress that enough. Um, if the book has any failings at all, it's that it doesn't set Zoe's character up in an informative way. She has a very complex backstory, uh, given her Rachel Rising background and five years and other things. And Serial spares maybe two panels to set that all up. And even when it does, it doesn't really tell you much at all. I personally, I vaguely remember the details of Zoe's character. So when topics of her age and immortality, question mark, uh, were brought up and kind of swept aside, I was like, all right, I I guess. um, I guess we don't have time for this. It it probably would have added another issue to the story, if I'm being honest. Uh, I will say this, though. I got along fine with the story while not having that information. It is inconsequential to the story that Moore is trying to tell here and bringing those details into this might've really slowed down the pace a bit. So I'm really glad that it was kind of kept out, but I will say that if you're going into this fresh without having read the other stuff, there might be a moment in the story where you're kind of like, what are they talking about? And then they move on from it and they never revisit it. So it's really not that bad. Um, if you're a fan of Rachel Rising or Terry Moore's work, this is an absolute no-brainer. It is brutal. It's mysterious. It's witty. It's sarcastic and it looks absolutely incredible. Uh, for those of you who've not, for who are not familiar with Moore's work, he primarily works in black and white and uses like thin lined inks to create really visceral and haunting worlds. And all of that is here in this, uh, story. I had a blast with this. It made me want to reread Rachel Rising and go back to Strangers in Paradise, which I never finished. And yeah, so I might be jumping on the Terry Moore train for the next little while because this really, really kind of got me back into that world. And I I find that I didn't have enough of it, so I might uh, I might do a little bit of uh, digging in the old archives to pull out some of that uh, Terry Moore goodness. And uh, that's it. <laughs> any questions
2: how much was this Terry Moore omnibus I just have to ask because I'm a fan too and but that that's one I've never gotten to
0: this was I'm looking at it right now uh, $31.99 uh-huh. US uh, 10 issues and you know of course all the covers all the supplemental materials oh. are the supplementals in the back uh, alright no I lied about the supplemental stuff <laughs> But still it's sound like a Spider Man No Way Home Blu-ray, am I right,
1: ladies? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I um I loved it. I loved it. I, I you know, it's been a long time since I really delved into the Terry Moore verse and this was perfect. It yeah. it's it's great. He
2: wasn't at the last New York Comic Con, and his table was always a place to stop at. You always had the special editions oh, yeah. with all the action. He and his missus, and you have a great conversation. Uh, Motor Girl was one of my great pickups from his table. Just loved that series. You introduced me to that one.
0: Yeah, we'll be we'll be talking a little bit more about the uh, the Moors and their Comic Con table a little later in the show. Oh. Um, complete coincidence, though, that uh, that I had picked this up. Um, as opposed to the story that I'll tell later. But uh, yeah, I went into my LCS the other day uh, to go and grab the uh, Reckless book, which they always have signed copies. Um, I don't know where Baker and Phillips are based, but my shop always has uh, my last two Reckless novels were signed by them, which is really a nice little bonus for, you know, no extra yep. charge.
1: Aren't they in Portland with the rest of them? I guess not. I mean, I don't know. Isn't
0: everybody at this point? I mean they might be paying extra for signed copies. Sure. So but like we have like we have a lot of like signed Lemire stuff. Like a lot of the Canadian creators um send stuff to Heroes. Heroes is a gigantic store. And um but yeah, every time every time one of these reckless books comes out, they have uh, they even had like I can't remember what it was. I think it was a a coaster of all things, but there was like a reckless coaster, uh, branded coaster. Sure, why not? Your, well, come on, there's some your... hard drinking folks in those books, right? Yeah, Um, but Reckless was cool. It was was cool to read a Reckless story with Ethan not being the main character. I do enjoy him, but it was nice to see Anna get the spotlight and tell a story with her outside of her just kind of hanging out with him or things related to the movie theater, even though a little bit of that is here, too.
1: And a story that I think is a different type and genre of story than the Ethan stories. You know, Ethan's running around doing that hard boiled punching Nazis kind of thing, yeah. you know, like that, like, and like solving crimes and murders. Of course, Anna, you know, but the, the plucky assistant as it were, is going to come into her own doing a, a horror story. You know, um, yeah. the opening sequence of her stumbling through the mansion, you know, stabbed is, amazing like it is a artistically aesthetically like you were talking about phillips's artwork just being on another level here that sequence got me so hyped to read the rest of it like if you walked into the book and you're like oh i don't know like ethan's not in the book like ethan reckless like i read this for him like you read that opening sequence and you're like i'm invested i want to know if she's okay i want to know how she got here and and like right away like talk about narrative structure character like that the, it's it's of the three it's it's I, I think it's one of my favorites um but like you said they all kind of blur together in this really awesome you know yeah. series but I, I i really loved it really really
0: yeah i really loved the scream queen angle obviously uh, and like I said, the interiors, like all of the stuff from the, the house to like even those first couple of pages with it still being like pitch black mm-hmm. in there, it's still so evocative and haunting. And I like that genre and setting for that character because I think that it fits her personality and attitude and kind of makes sense for everything that we knew about her already. And then, you know, we come to learn even more with her connection to Lorna and how she kind of grew up with her and feels like almost like she's a surrogate aunt uh, to her. And it's great. It's a, it's another, you know, it's a great series and it's a, it's another outstanding chapter. Yeah. I was
1: going to say like, oh man, I really wish Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips would do like a, you know, an, an old Hollywood story. And then I realized they did. It's called the fade out. Yeah. <laughs> you can go read that.
0: <laughs> um, let me ask you a quick question, Joey. Um, Cruel summer. Yeah. Is that a standalone or was that, Uh, stories taken from something else that i've already read do you remember cruel summer was a criminal book right i don't know i think so i think cruel
1: summer it was it it was a collection of the first or second arc in that criminal when they brought criminal back a couple of years ago. the reboot yeah yeah
0: i'm pretty sure All right. I think we talked about this before because I realized I was looking like the Brubaker, the Reckless books always have their entire, you know, collaborative library advertised in the back. And I have everything with the exception of that Cruel Summer book. And I'm just wondering if it's worth it for me. Cruel Summer collects Criminal number one and numbers five through 12. Because issues
1: two, three, and four were an isolated story. And then 5 through 12 was a, a story, and I think 1 was just, like, the lead-in. So, yeah, Cruel Summer is definitely a collection of
0: okay. criminal issues. I'm going to look into it, because I think I of know that we have like, the original.
1: Yeah, it's in, like, Deluxe Oversize. So, like, if you want that, that's like that's what you want.
0: Yeah. I'll have to look into it. That's cool, though. Would you mind what if I, dig- yeah, that... I
2: digress into a weird signed copy story? No, go for it. Uh, Christmas time for our, our friend and occasional co-host, Nikki. I was trying to set her up with the first Kelly Sue DeConnick one of Captain Marvel. The problem is the way it's all collected, there are missing issues because of a crossover with Avengers Assemble. Like, all right, where do you find that? It's out of print. Blah, Enemy blah, blah. Within. Yep, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so I, I went to ABE Books and found someone selling a copy for like $7 and $3 shipping. Great. The book comes... It's signed by Kelly Sue to someone named Stephen. <laughs> it's like Aww. okay, great. Okay, Nikki, if your name is Stephen, this is to you. But if not, it's still signed. So like, go go ahead. <laughs> it's like okay. So I and I really hope I, I actually I wrote to Kelly Sue about this. I really hope that there's someone who didn't sell the wrong book out of their collection. Not a whole lot because I got to give a nice gift, but uh, still, it's like it's like out of nowhere. This is a signed copy
0: of this floating around the internet. Sure, why not? It happens. Yeah. Some people give up bizarre things. I had a book signed by David Byrne that uh, I ended up donating to a place once. Kind of regret it now, but <laughs> what are you going to do? Um,
2: We got, when I was in the record business, we get, you get all sorts of stuff, right? So we, from Columbia Records, we were given a copy of Michael Jackson's sort of autobiography, Moonwalker. Signed, guy worked with was a huge Michael Jackson fan. I gave it to him for his
0: collection. Oh, yeah, was that the movie with Joe Joe Pesci? Oh no, it was his
2: autobiography. It was it was just called Moonwalker.
0: Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. It's like, eh, you know, I
2: probably should have held on to that, but you know, it went to someone who really, really cared. It's like, yeah, it was signed. It was a signed copy of this book.
0: Moonwalker, the game, the Genesis game, or the arcade game. So good. All right. Uh, we're we're uh, definitely digressing, gonna, <laughs> yes. Time for news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's time for That's going to do it for for books. Let's get into some of this news. There's a lot of it.
2: All
0: right, let's see. Um, we'll blow through some of these relatively quickly. Uh, Batman is getting a new creative team direction and schedule in Detective Comics. Uh, this is coming from CBR. So Ram V and Raphael Albuquerque are going to be taking over the Batman Detective from Mariko Tamaki in a couple of uh, issues, and that's really cool. I um, I've really been enjoying the Mariko Tamaki run a lot, but it does feel like it's coming to an end, and it's time for a change. And this is a hell of a creative team to have on these books, and I really like the uh, the sample art that they've given of Bruce kind of. Wearing this like masquerade version of the Batman mask, and he's got almost like a like a demon horn or something coming out the <laughs> other side of his head. It's really weird, but um, yeah, I'm gonna see if I can find. Oh, so the new the new team will be taking the reins from writers Mariko Tomacchio and Nadia Shamas, artists Ivan, uh, Ray- Reese? Reese. Reese. Ivan Reese Rice, Reese Ivan Reese, Danny Miki, with uh, backup uh, backup writer Cina Grace. And backup artist David uh, Lapham.
1: They got Sina Grace Grayson, David Lapham doing a backup in Detective. Yeah, they, they doing the, the A book? <laughs> oh my God! I'm gonna get Detective. I also love the Mariko Tamaki run. I've been I've been reading it behind on Detective. It's not on Detective on DC Universe. It comes out it real
0: be. quick, man. Like every week that was coming know, out for a while. I
1: know it's awesome. It's really good. Um, yeah, that sounds really
0: cool. Yeah. I like it. I, I mean, I like all of these creators, and oh, I you know, freshen it. it up a little bit. I love some Rom V and some Raphael
3: Albuquerque. You might actually yeah. get me back on a Batman book. Mm.
1: How's um, Batman proper going? Anybody reading that still?
0: No, I think everyone's going uh, for know, a ship. <laughs> I have to say, I, I did catch up with it recently, and I was a little thrown. The um, the the stories from um, was it uh, Williams Williamson, right? Yeah. It doesn't really go anywhere. It's kind of three three issues for a setup, and then the reveal happened, and I was kind of like, "That's it." And then it stopped. And then the, then the next issue was part two of some kind of crossover story. Mm-hmm. So we didn't even get part one in the Batman proper book. It happened somewhere else. So I'm reading along, and you get this kind of in my. In my estimation, a very like mid Batman story, and then you got this part two of something that I didn't know I was was supposed to be reading. It's a so thing, it's kind of it, stalled isn't it, out,
1: isn't it? Flash Batman, another crossovers going on. I have mean? no idea. I
0: don't know. All no right. clue. Well, okay. Um, it uh, it it hasn't. I'll I'll just for my opinion, it hasn't been great since um since the other team uh, wrapped it up. I think Zdarsky is going to be when I when I really come back on. So. All right. I just felt like the Abyss stuff kind of didn't go anywhere, and uh, the reveal of what was actually happening was kind of like, eh, alright. Whatever. Uh, Love Williamson just doesn't doesn't stand out compared to the, the momentum that we had from the previous run, in my humble opinion. Uh, do we want to move on to the next story? <coughs> alright. Uh, what we got here, J- uh, Red Hood, Jason Todd... Gets his own brand new Robin as he comes to the Batman White Knight universe. What? See, this is when I wish that John was hey, here. What
2: do those words mean?
0: <laughs> uh, well, John's been talking about the Batman uh, White Knight universe expanding. I think he actually touched on it last episode. Yep. And so there is going to be, let's see, writer artist Sean Gordon Murphy's Batman The White Knight universe will expand again in July with a two issue limited series focusing on the second kid sidekick. To take on the identity of Batman's crime-fighting partner Robin in core DC continuity, Jason Todd. Um, I'm trying to. I thought there was something about a Robin in here. There it's is down
3: below. It's further down below. Do you know? Can you? Do you? Have you got it in front of you? Uh, basically, he's trying. The story is he's trying to go and rescue Batman from uh, a character, a powers character. Uh, he, in the process, he has to take on a. Sidekick in the name of Gan, I think her name is, uh, who yep. basically needs help saving her neighborhood that's being t-
0: uh, overrun by crime. Mm-hmm. Described as a local girl from, by the, thank you, Aaron, by the way, um, a local girl from East Backport who needs his help to save her neighborhood from a super criminal terrorizing its citizens. So there you go, new characters, uh, new you know creative direction for this series. And that's cool. I know I I have to catch up with those books. I know John's really been enjoying them a lot. So maybe we can get his opinion on this next week. But uh, there will always be more Batman books. (laughs) You're kidding. No, really?
2: Believe it. <laughs> That's
0: unbelievable. I, I, who are the supervillain gentrifiers?
2: I'm thinking that would be a better story.
0: <laughs> the gentrifier.
1: <laughs> That's
2: what
0: um,
1: Morbius was about. Yes. That's what Morbius the first, the volume I read last week was about.
0: Just really quick. So this is co-written by Murphy along with Clayton McCormick, with art by Simone de Oh, And colorist Dave Stewart. Oh, see, now you've, mm. you've piqued my interest. Yes, that is, I didn't see that part. That's tasty. I like that. I don't like that. Good stuff. <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, we want to move on? Yeah, a- Moving on. Uh, I, this is from Deadline. IDW has unveiled nine original comic book series with John Ridley among the creators. Uh, this is a very large article, so I'm going to kind of try to skim this a little bit. Um, New York Times bestselling authors, top industry artists and writers, as well as newcomers, including Scott Snyder, uh, you know, that newcomer, Scott Snyder, uh, G. Willow Wilson and Stephen Graham Jones, among others. Additionally, IDW has additional additional projects underway for 2023 and beyond, including a comic book series by Academy Award winning director, screenwriter, novelist and showrunner John Ridley next uh, Netflix's upcoming surely let it fall Los Angeles. I have no idea what this is. Uh The Other History of the DC Universe, so on and so forth. Um, and then they list the nine projects. Um, I'm not gonna read all of them, but uh True Cult, Dark Spaces Wildfire, Crashing, Dead Seas. Um, this is cool, like featured graphic novels in kind of like a um like a TKO studio's yeah style release very early Um, image sort of stuff too yeah Yeah.
2: great creators and do some stuff yeah
0: looks interesting it's cool i never you know like i never really read a lot of idw i never know where to start so if they had dedicated standalone graphic novels that could be a good way in for somebody Mm -hmm. like me so cool i mean i would probably be a little selective like based on creator of which one of these I check out but still this is uh this is really cool it's cool to see creators going to other labels to do like you so know some of these are mini series and some of these are ongoing
2: right
3: ooh so there's like five issues there's a the original graphic novel there's one that's like a what's called Earth Divers it's an ongoing series written by Stephen Graham Jones
0: uh oh it's the original comic book series i thought yeah. it was original graphic
3: novel my bad so it's a combination of things okay so. Yeah, it's pretty
0: cool. Um, anybody else? Anybody else got any thoughts, concerns? Better IDW than
2: Substacks. Oof. Yes. <laughs> At least we can read it, right? We, can, we don't have to pay for it except for buying a book.
0: That's true. Uh, moving right along, I don't have the article in front of me, but the headline, you probably saw this last week, Warner Brothers Discovery is exploring uh, options (laughs) (laughs) of overhauling DC entertainment. Uh, One of the people that is in charge of kind of steering the ship of this redirection. Uh, This is, of course, the inflammatory thing that got everybody talking is that they think that movies like Joker are the standouts of what DC has done in the past little while. And they want more things like that. You can take that for what you want. Um, I think that DC has needed something for a long time. I do enjoy their films to an extent, but if they're looking to get into this like DCU MCU thing, if they want their own Kevin Feige to kind of, put their universe together, they they gotta start doing it at some point because they're several years into this and several years behind having any kind of cohesive universe if that's really their aim. Or they don't that right. like yeah. that's
1: that's the thing. So so I have two thoughts on this. One is I'll believe it when I see it. Exactly what I say. Anytime any of these like we're gonna have this new producer take over and we're gonna do a, a, a DC universe or a Sony universe or you know whatever or even some of the Marvel things. Like I'll believe it when I see the trailer, you know, like that's when I'll, that's when I'll believe it. The second thing is maybe these studios need to let it go. You know, Hmm. like the, 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 maybe if Sony didn't feel so, weren't so obsessed with putting together (laughs) this like Sony Spider-Man universe, they could actually make good Spider-Man movies. You know, or good vet like a uh, what well, part of the reason why the Venom movies are actually like financially successful, at least, is because there is no kind of inkling of there being a Spider-Man crossover. Fans can pr- hype you know pontificate about it all they want, but really, at no point do those movies talk about there being a Spider-Man. Nope. You know, one of one of not one of. the sole reason, <laughs> but one of the reasons why the Morbius debacle falls apart is because of those really cruddy backup uh post-credit scenes that really just dismantle everything you know um and the dc stuff if joker is their image of success and batman and aquaman and all these things that quite frankly have operated much better on their own than than in the context of a larger universe Then maybe they just do that. Like, there's no need to do this massive universe, especially when like, is it really that is the reason why the MCU movies are financially successful? Only because they're a tied together thirty movie long series. It's part of it, sure, but I think you know, there's a a ton of other reasons that could individually too.
2: Yeah, it's a to Um, me, it's a disconnect, right? You you want a Kevin Feige. To link everything together, but then cite the Joker as your tentpole, and, and and one of the articles I saw said they don't want a creative person; they want a business manager. Yeah. Well, that's that's a problem in and of itself.
1: DC has a wealth of IP. Yeah, Warner Brothers. You know, just make the damn movies. Like, don't worry about it being connected. And if anything, the more these movies connect, the, the more problematic the whole production becomes. And it, it's only recently that the Marvel connected stuff has been praised. I could I remember all of those reviews that came out every single movie through phase two and phase three. That was just like, this movie feels like a big trailer for the next movie. it's like, mm-hmm. it, it's only recently that like the interconnected universe thing has been a quote unquote plus. I think that uh, these other studios see dollar signs attached to them as, and assume that must be the thing.
2: As opposed to quality motion pictures.
1: Right. But oh, Hey,
2: I guess what's, new blood ahead. is
1: new blood is new blood. And if if it's if it's gonna give these movies a direction, whether it's a connected direction or at least just you know maybe scrap it and actually go down the let's go back to making a Superman trilogy and a Batman trilogy and a Wonder Woman trilogy and and if they connect they connect and if not they not whatever,
0: maybe we go back to that whatever. But at least you'll have potentially a new direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, DC Entertainment. I mean, they're not in the same boat as like something like. Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers is on fire right now. And, you know, them being associated with one another, uh, I think that they're looking to kind of take a hard look at their, you know, multi-million dollar IPs that they have and kind of give them a bit of a spit shine or a new coat of paint to try and make the type of money that Disney and Marvel are making with their stuff.
2: Maybe not make Batman movies every time you sneeze. It's crazy start. to
1: me that the Batman movie is already on HBO Max. Yeah. Yep. I saw it today. I was I was like just looking for something to watch when I got home before we recorded. And I was like, the Batman is here already? I just saw it in theaters like three weeks mm-hmm. ago.
0: 45 days, man. 45 day window. And then they throw it on there. It's Max. amazing. It's still in theaters, still making money.
1: I go back now to what I said when we reviewed that movie. I was like, you know, Warner Brothers and DC... They have HBO Max. A lot of these properties would kill as TV shows, you know, or, 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 you know, prestige series, you know. Um, I just go back to that. I think that, like, that's the future. That's, that's where that, if you want to set yourself apart,
0: that's where you
2: go. Yeah. Much looking forward to Batgirl for just that reason.
0: Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of movies that I believe this is also going to theaters, but I think it's also coming to HBO Max. Uh, I don't know whether it's a simultaneous release or not. My point being that the rumors or the deal to have uh, Sharon Stone join the cast of Blue Beetle has died, yeah. and she has been replaced by Susan Sarandon. Okay. Of wow! Of okay. all people, and... Sharon Stone would have been a lot of fun. Um, yes had me a lot more excited than this. Uh Sarandon's going to wow. be playing Victoria Court. You, just, you just showed up for Susan Sarandon there. Just wow. ripped
1: the throat I, out. Academy, <laughs> Academy Award winning Susan Sarandon. Yeah, Steve has, I, Steve has very strong opinions about Susan
0: Sarandon.
2: <laughs> I do. I love I her a lot of I stuff, might, but I, I think Sharon Stone is a interesting choice too. But okay, go ahead Steve, I'm sorry.
0: I'm just saying if I had my preference, <laughs> it would be Sharon Stone. The, the The Sharon Stone thing excited me and interested me. This does not. There's there's a, a hard line in the sand and I'm drawing it. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. Um, not a big deal. This movie still looks amazing. I, I, yeah. I really like the cast that they've put together for it. Uh, it's cool to see this character uh, coming to the screen in this way. So there's still plenty to look forward to uh, in this film, for sure. So That's that. I've never known why Sharon Stone was famous. She, you should, well, I was going to say watch that episode of Murderville.
2: Yeah, there's that. Look, she Um, she, she had her moment, and that moment, though, went to a lot of interesting places. Obviously, uh, Star Turn in Total Recall. That led to Hooven's basic instinct, which then it's she... Catwoman for me, but but she leveraged it into some interesting places. Yeah, Catwoman. She look, she's fun in a really terrible movie. She's probably the best part of that. But she, I think she, she
3: became <laughs> more interesting after her time, more interesting on screen after her time. Had passed. I don't know. How that sounds bad. But, um, but after it, she was to after she was in that space where she was supposed to be the hottest thing ever. But see, you're
2: you're right, possible. Aaron. To to most people, but here's the thing: in the midst of her space, she did a, 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 a wonderful touching movie called The Mighty, based mm-hmm. on a great children's book. She used her power to do interesting things, including the Sam Raimi Quick and the Dead, maybe well, the greatest spaghetti awesome. Western of all time.
3: She, the the favorite thing, uh, and this is because I like the original, she did a remake of Jenna Rollins Gloria.
2: I, I own that movie. I love it too. Love it
3: too. I will watch Jenna Rollins Gloria all day yep. long. Uh, and when she did it, I was like, oh, okay. How do you do that? Well, but how do you do that? Exactly. But I, you know, I, that's what I'm saying. I felt like it was after her quote unquote Hollywood mandated prime had passed. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll put it that way but- because I don't think it was her prime. I think. That's when she got more interesting, but then no one was watching.
2: But you know, I, I think those are actually her in her prime, using her power to make what she felt were interesting choices, and I don't think that helped the rest of her career. Yeah. Um, did you ever see The Muse, the Albert Brooks movie?
3: I know I have not seen that. whole. I know where,
2: where she she's about. actually a daughter of Zeus, helping yeah. Albert Brooks, the put upon screenwriter, and she has a wonderful flair for comedy. And so she did drama, comedy, westerns, oddball things, and then no one really cared because she wasn't doing Catherine Tremell from Basic Instinct. Mm-hmm. Hollywood, Hollywood folks—that's what we're about.
3: <laughs> Pikachu only get you so far.
2: <laughs> oh, there could be there could be a, a, an episode title, but I think we moved on from that. But I love
0: it. Pika Pika. <laughs> Let's move on. Speaking of moving on, uh, dead boy detectives is, uh, getting a series order at HBO max. This is an eight episode horror detective series based on the characters created by Neil Gaiman and Matt Wagner, uh, aims to take a fresh take on the ghost story, exploring loss, grief, and death. Uh, this is the series that revolves around Edwin Payne and Charles Roland, two dead British teenagers. And, uh, their very alive friend, Crystal Palace. It's a nice name. Uh, press release for HBO described it as a lot like a vintage detective series, only darker and on acid. <laughs> wow, real wow, okay. game, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and then it's coming from a bunch of people that you will either know or not know. Uh, no one has been announced for casting just yet. At least I don't think so. I think Crystal Palace was on Drag Race. Oh wait, no, no, they have. No, it's, it's, uh, a, it's, George, a, it's an uh, English
2: football team in the Premier League.
0: <laughs> George Rextrew and Jaden Reverie, so the uh, person from the Lodge, and then Edward Payne, um, Charles, and no, I'm sorry, I can't, I I don't know. Um, a bunch of actors I am unfamiliar with uh, have been cast in this thing, including Cassius Nelson from Last Night in Soho
2: don't don't remember him from that movie but uh, I don't remember that name but sure
0: yeah Um, I've read a handful of Dead Boy Detective and it was definitely neat um, could make for a very cool show and hey you know what another comic book adaptation give it a shot hopefully it lasts longer than Jupiter's Legacy (laughs) whoa Whoa. (laughs) poor Jupiter's Legacy you never had the chance the show was all right.
3: Never even. I think it was because you guys had your your feedback on it. I was just like, okay, well, I'll, I'll binge it, and then it was canceled. I was like, well, that takes that off my plate.
0: I, it was it was a lot better than than people gave it credit for. And when I say people, I mean a lot of the critics. The people were way too harsh on that show. I think it it really could have done a lot if it had if it had been able to continue. But you know, these things happen. Uh Aaron while we're with you what do you think of this Wonder Twins news it, I was reading before uh, oh. the HBO Max movie uh oh. is from Deadline KJ Apa yeah. and Isabel May are playing the Wonder Twins it Worries me Why does it worry you
3: It wor- the one thing I didn't say it but the one <laughs> thing I kept saying to myself when we were, when they were identifying that this movie was coming, was please don't cast a bunch of CW models. <laughs> please don't ca- And what are the pictures they have right there on really? the? Sc- I'm like, you cannot be serious right now. The whole thing with Zan and Jaina, especially in the the Mark Russell books, but the whole thing is that they are awkward and. Not cool, and trying to figure it out, and you get the most ripped guy on the CW, and this girl who clearly looks like she's done her time modeling. I uh, I wonder, like why, why why? So I don't know, <laughs> just why. Uh, now I don't know. They could be doing all sorts of make, I'm sorry, I just look at like Kamala, and I'm like, oh my god, that's a perfect casting. You got a girl from Jersey all over the place and then you turn here I'm like the, you are not going to see these two in 80% of the cities are <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, again I don't I don't I don't get a sense of what the theme what the, the, the what's the I'm looking for what the we've
0: got some time this is uh, I don't think this is rolled into production just yet but um, I don't know I know very little about Wonder Twins I need to finish reading that oh, series the, the comic series is fantastic it was amazing <laughs> I'm I'm in I was in the middle of it. I think I got distracted by something, but um yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm going to continue with that cuz it was a lot of fun. All right. Uh man, we're going through these. I think that's it. Oof. That's it. Wow, yeah, we got through those quick. I thought it was going to take a lot longer. Uh we have a listener question
4: mm. to close
0: things out for this week. Uh we got a really nice email from Joseph Montague. Uh, He sent us a whole epic yarn about stuff. It was amazing. I sent it out to everyone in the chat. Uh, Then asked at the bottom, however you qualify it, what's the best money you've spent on a comic book? So uh, I'll go back to what I was saying before real quick about the Moors, uh, Terry and Robin Moore. They are not only are they incredible people within comics, but they're just incredible people. Period. Uh, one of the best times, one of one of the times that I was so pleased to hand over my money was when I went to their table at New York City Comic Con. I can't remember what year it was, but they had one copy of the Rachel Rising omnibus, the special like green one from uh, I think it was like a Kickstarter or a, a limited print event or whatever. And I was dying to own it, just absolutely dying to own it. And I did not have any room in my bags. like I was between my my work stuff and uh, swag from the show. I was just I could not carry another like telephone book's worth of comics. So they had one left and they held on to it for me. And I came back to them at the end of the con and you know, gave them my money. They signed it. We had a really nice conversation. And then from that year on, for the next several years, any time that I saw them, especially when I went to San Diego Comic-Con, their table was like a haven and a respite yeah. from everything else going on on that show floor. Um, they recognized me every time, always welcomed me to come and sit at their table and hang out with them for a little while. And specifically when I went to San, Francisco, uh, to San Diego Comic-Con, I must have spent upward of like maybe an hour, uh, if not more, just kind of sitting with them and hanging out with them to catch my breath. And Robin was like getting me new water and everything like that. And we were chatting and I was regretting that I didn't have my recording device to do like an interview sort of thing, but it was also nice to just kind of shoot the shit with them at the show and watch them do their thing and speak to their fans and everything. And um, I just always remember the journey toward going back to get that Rachel rising omnibus and how lovely they were and just how that was the beginning of something really, really nice for a couple of years with uh, two creators that didn't know me from a hole in the wall, but kind of like took me in every time that they saw me in, in any kind of subsequent con. So um, that's probably the greatest money that I've spent on a comic book. Uh, Bob, do you have a story? Oh, I've got too many.
2: There's so many books that I picked up just out of, Nowhere, just figuring I'll, I'll try this, and whether that's Squirrel Girl or Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, um, Giant Days, and, and that's that's all great sort of stuff that have led to years of enjoyment, and that's wonderfully three dollars spent or, or so on. But I'm torn between two things it, it's either the $175 I spent for an FF1. 35 years ago that managed to get both Jack Kirby and Stan Lee to sign and got to have conversations with both of them. Or it's the fact that way back in 1962 with half of my allowance for the week for 12 cents, I bought fantastic Four number five off a newsstand. (laughs) And that started a lifetime of reading comic books. So I am going to go with that. I spent 12 cents way way back cuz I got I got a quarter for helping put the garbage out every week different times. Yeah, but it's right if a comic book was then 12 cents, if we're talking about the equivalent now which is $4, that was $8 to help my dad put out the garbage. That's yeah. so bad well, would, for a 6-year-old. Well,
3: they would Venmo you $30 a week for putting out the garbage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Aaron, you got a story? I really don't. I've been trying
3: to think the whole time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of one thing that stands out. That uh, I mean, I know the book that I, I search for the most at New York Comic-Con, but I still haven't read it yet. So I can't say if it was the best or the worst Ooh, version. Which one was <laughs> it, though? The, the, Alias ah, the Alias book. Ah. So that was it. I, don't, I haven't read it, though. So it's, it's <laughs> sitting in my pod right now. While that, Never mind. It's sitting in the pod. Sitting in the what? The pod. Sitting in a pod. Oh, pod. Uh, I've stored my furniture, my upstairs furniture, in the pod. Okay, my floors
0: are being done. I heard pod, and then I heard pie. No, pod. P O D. Okay. Oops. Um, Joey, you got a story? Uh,
1: yeah, it's a it's a similar story to what's been said before, but um. You know, I, I think I've told it before too, but I, I, when I was younger, I was really just only reading X-Men books and I would pick them up at the bookstore, like in trades and things like that. Not really a single issue kind of person. And then I, I remember I got a Barnes and Noble gift card for Christmas or whatever for like 50 bucks. And I was like, Holy shit, that's so much money. (laughs) Um, And I remember just like browsing online and and I went to the store and I bought the Ed Brubaker Captain America Omnibus with the gift card. At the time, it was $75, um, which is madness now because those Omnibuses are like $200 now. (laughs) But um, I bought that and it was issues 1 to 25 of Ed Brubaker's Captain America. And it ends with obviously cap uh, get quote unquote assassinated spoilers from 2005. Um, and I was like, holy crap, I need to know what happens next. And of course there was no Omnibus volume two. So I was like, all right, I guess it's time for me to go start doing single issue stuff. And I found a comic book shop and I started collecting the X-Men books in single issue. And obviously Captain America started at 26, got those back issues and, and caught up there as well. And of course, here I am now <laughs> with with long boxes of single issues. Um, and uh, it all really started with the thing that broke me out of just being an X-Men person. And that was buying that Captain America omnibus.
0: All right. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, I, got, I probably could have come up with a couple of different ones for this. I've got that. Uh, eh, well, I'm not going to start telling more stories. Let's wrap it up uh let's talk about what books we're looking forward to next week. Uh, Joey, what are you picking up? Uh, the series finale
1: of Good Asian comes out this week. Um, Captain America number zero. What? All right. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> cool. Um, Shang-Chi number 11. Vampire Slayer number one. This is like, bu- so I, first of all, before I could read Vampire Slayer number one, I have to catch up with the Boom Buffy stuff. But I'm very eager to start that. Uh, World's Finest number two, and um, Dark Horse is collecting uh, this comiXology original called We Only Kill Each Other, which is like pulpy gangsters versus Nazis stuff. So um, I'll probably check that one out too.
0: Cool. Uh, Aaron, what are you getting? Or what, what are you what are you maybe getting? So
3: the pool, once again, <laughs> and I'm making this up as I go on. The pool, once again, might be Nightwing 91. It could be a little bit of uh, b- uh, Blue and Gold number eight. It could be some Shang-Chi number 11. Wonder Girl, uh, Trial on the Amazon is number two. Um, uh, Let's see. Uh, I do. uh, No, I'm not going to do that. I was going to do the Doctor Strange Nexus, but no, I don't think I want to do that. Um, Let me see. Wonder Woman. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Let's see. What else we got here? I think that's probably going to be it, to be honest with you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much it. Bob, what are you uh, picking up? Windverse number two. Uh, World's Finest, number two, as well. There's a Catwoman double feature, 42, as well as Cliff Chang's Lonely City, number three. That's about it. It's a light week.
0: Nice. I have got uh, Batman the Night, number four. Batman Superman, World's Finest, number two. Catwoman, 42. Catwoman Lonely City, number three. The Nice House on the Lake, number eight. Nightwing, 91. Robin, six. Bolero 4, The Good Agent 10, and Slumber, number 2. Very anxious for Bolero and Slumber, both. Both of those have been
3: really, really cool. Oh, wait. Uh, Living Guys 3 comes out. There you go. go.
2: (laughs) Put it on the list.
3: There you have it. It's a possibility.
2: There are always possibilities, to quote Mr. Spock.
0: Hey. Uh, there's also the possibility of us ending this podcast. Does anybody have any closing statements or anything they want to share with anyone?
1: Yeah. I just wanted to share very quickly uh, right before we came on to record today, a friend of the pod, professor Carolyn Coca forwarded to us a comic strip op-ed in the Washington post from Nate Powell and Andrew Aiden, who you might recognize the names Mm. from the March trilogy and run working with John Lewis um, and it's a really just wonderful comic strip, um, talking about the not only Im- the importance of teaching the very true, complicated, and sometimes very not very pretty history of yeah. race and um, um, kind of civil uh, rights, yeah, civil rights in this country, um, but also talking about how kids in particular in our schools in schools where people are trying very hard to not do that um, they are very ready to handle those kinds of conversations and actually are very eager to have those conversations Um, it's a wonderful op-ed I'm sure if you just search uh, Washington Post opinion Nate Powell Andrew Aiden it'll come up Um, it's quite powerful really wonderful Um, and speaking as an educator, um, I I very much uh, resonate with it. So check it out.
2: Yeah, thank you, thank Excellent. you, Carolyn. Yeah, you beat me to that one, Joey. <laughs> that it, it's just it's a, it's a <laughs> wonderful article and makes so many incredibly important points as uh, education learning. <sighs> Varying viewpoints are now under attack because we don't want to learn our own, as you say, messy history. It's, it's stunning. It really
1: is. For the record, too, um, Nate Powell often does these kind of like editorial comic strips. Um, if you go to his website, there are many, one of which is a really awesome one about the Punisher iconography, Um, and he goes, he does a really deep dive into that and, and what it means and and how it's been kind of appropriated and all of that. So, uh, Nate Powell is just a wonderful kind of, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, political cartoonist, um, which is really wonderful to think about. Yeah. Great. Uh,
2: anybody else have anything? Yeah. On a really lighter note, I happened across something today because I was wandering at work with nothing to do and discovered on the unbeatable squirrel girl twitter account there is such a thing and she does post marvel entertainment has launched a squirrel girl podcast as a it's the unbeatable squirrel girl the unbeatable radio show which is written by Ryan North and is basically a continuation of his comic book run the supporting cast the supporting cast is there Nancy Whitehead and Coy Boy and Chipmunk Hunk and Brain Drain and the whole crew as they now have a radio show on Empire State University College Radio, and they have call-ins, it's hysterical. If you're a fan of the show, of the the comic, rather, you owe it to yourself to check out the Unbeatable Radio Show. Just go to the Unbeatable Squirrel Gold Twitter page, and you'll, the link is right there. It's it is very funny. They also give you a phone number to call in. I've already called it in. It's not in service, so don't try calling it.
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Ryan North has a um, a new novel out about like I think it's like how to be a supervillain yes. or something like yeah. that. It's, <laughs> how to take over the world or something. Yeah. yeah, it's only in hardcover, so I haven't gotten it yet because um, I refuse to have hardcovers because they're really heavy when you move. Um, so uh, I'm going to wait till it's in paperback. But
0: I'm very eager to read that too. Awesome. Uh Bob, Is uh is it Squirrel Girl? Like, does there is there a voice actress? Yes, it, for the it, characters?
2: It's, it's Milana Weintraub who did on the cartoon and who was going to play her in live action. Doing Squirrel Girl. Oh.
0: That's perfect. Oh yes, it is. Cool. I'm gonna have to check that out. That sounds amazing.
2: Yeah, first episode is took like forty-five minutes, and it's as they start the show off, of course there are no calls right away because it's a new show and they're they're vamping and vamping, and then the calls start to come in, and there are a couple of
0: real winners. I'll just leave it at that. Awesome. All right, I will definitely check that out and report back. All right, uh, as a in case you missed it, there is a new episode of Thirsty On Tune on the feed for a webtoon called Novi. Um, as always, absolutely hilarious. Very informative, informative, very in depth. Go and check it out. Uh, We've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics podcast. And always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast to talkingcomicbooks.com. We love questions. Ask them. Uh, We are also on Twitter where you can tweet those questions or comments at Talking Comics. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, go to the Talking Comics homepage and give us a five-star review. It would really help us out. Uh, Bob, where can our listeners find you?
2: Old-fashioned email, Bob Ryder at talkingcomicbooks.com, and if you write me, I'll tell you about this week's mystery book.
0: There you go. Uh, Joey, where are you at? At Joey Vergino. Aaron. At Aaron J. Amos. Uh, John is at John P. Burkle on Twitter. I am at dead underscore Anchorus. So for Bob, see you soon. For Joey, adios. For Aaron, apparently I took the red pill. (laughs) And for me, happy 420, everybody. We will catch you next time on the Talking Comics podcast. To be continued.